This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 14th of March 2017, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data. My name is Dave, and here is my co-host, Jon. Hello, Dave. Good morning. Well, almost afternoon. Uh, good midday-ish to you, Jon. <laughs> well, it's getting better now because I just come from the dentist, just had the root canal done. So if I'm talking more gibberish than usual, I blame it on that. Yeah. So what's your normal excuse for talking gibberish? I don't need an excuse. I'm Belgian. Okay. Okay. That does explain a lot. <laughs> Um, and be nice. We, we have a guest, so be nice. We do have a guest. We do have a guest. So we're joined here today by uh, Marcel Young. Say hi. 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 Hey. So um, Marcel Young is the uh, the winner of our um, free ticket to the DataWorks Summit provided by uh, provided by HortonWorks. So thank you to HortonWorks for providing that. And uh, so Marcel Young will be attending the uh the summit in munich uh, we also however have one more ticket to give away but this time for the data work summit san jose say ooh, ooh. <laughs> um so it's going to be the same sort of thing as normal um as our previous uh contest um so just a little teaser for now uh we'll give you more information uh, the next episode when we actually kick this off. Uh, but if you're interested in uh, getting a free ticket to the DataWorks Summit uh, San Jose, which is June 13th to June 15th, you should think now about how you can best espouse the virtues of the uh, Roaring Elephant podcast. Yeah, just to be certain the people understand, we're not starting the raffle today yet. It's starting probably next episode but the only way to know that is to listen to the episodes because we will not be writing anything about that anywhere else you have to listen to win indeed indeed but you know if you wanted to start practicing uh, you know tweeting and that sort of thing early you know feel free yes yes it's easy to do as uh, Marshall Jan will probably uh, agree as well just retweet something or post something or make a video anything works I didn't even know I was. I had entered, had entered the raffle. I just was uh, very enthusiastic about your uh, episode about uh, how not to set up uh, Hadoop. <laughs> it was very useful for me. So I, I said that in a tweet, and voila, <laughs> I'm going to Munich. So I mean, how awesome is that? You can win without even knowing that you're a winner. Yes. Fantastic stuff. All right. So, unless anybody's got anything else they'd like to talk about during the intro. Well, I just want to mention something. I want to mention something because uh, undoubtedly during this podcast, people are going to hear the inescapable fact that there's a lot of noise going on in Dave's house at the moment. This is true. This is true. Now, I'm going to do my best to do the post-edit, post-editing to cut it all out, but... I will probably have to leave some stuff in there, or unless, or unless I have to cut out Dave completely, which I'm not totally against. But let's see how far this works. So you mean I could take the morning off? Excellent. <laughs> then I still have to be here. Nobody's going to know about it. That's the only thing. Oh, damn it. So yes, unfortunately, a small army has descended on uh, on uh, the Roaring Elephant UK office, 
and uh, is uh, tearing things down and building things up. And it's all very exciting. It is unfortunately also very noisy. So yes, I'll do as best as I can to uh, trim things out on my side. Yun will do even more work trimming things out on his side. And hopefully we won't uh, compromise things too much. Mm-hmm. And for Marcel Jan, we'll let Marcel Jan introduce himself uh, completely in the second part of our episode, because uh, the second part of this episode is actually going to be about Marcel Jan, not about the fact that he won the ticket, but about something else about Marcel Jan. It's even more exciting. But very, before we do that... Very honored. <laughs> you should be. <laughs> nah, just kidding. <laughs> We're just happy to be here. <laughs> but before we go to the second part, as Dave was trying to say, before I was so rudely interrupted by Carpenters... The news for the last fortnight. Indeed. So, I think you have one more article than I do, so I think it's probably your turn to kick off. Yep, I'll go first. I've got four things I want to talk about, but two of them are relatively short, so we should not spend too much time on those. But the first one is an interesting one. It's a article from uh, Facebook. And Facebook, as everybody knows, of course, does a lot with big data. And they have an article up since February 7th. It was written by Tejas Patil and Ching Zheng, excuse me if I butchered the names, and it's titled Using Apache Spark for Large-Scale Language Model Training. Now, that's not that uh, exciting, perhaps, uh, natural language processing and uh, predicting stuff that's been done an awful lot in Spark already. But what this article actually explains is how they set up a uh, Ngram language model training system and the idea behind that for people that aren't that versed in uh, uh, this kind of stuff before yet it's like when you're doing um, you're typing something in a google search and the stuff completes your phrase you type can i can mm-hmm. you please come and the thing completes with here for example that's what they're trying to do and the way you do that it's kind of it's a kind of a prediction uh, uh, model you're building there you're taking phrases that people say a lot and then predict what his probably best match for the next word will be now the way they set this up in in the the first go was using hive actually not spark they actually used hive to set up a big database with this kind of prediction pre-trained and use that and apparently that worked satisfactory on the prediction level let's say so we're able to predict relatively well what was what, what was the next word going to be the only bad thing was speed. The performance was just not what they wanted. Had a couple of uh, billion n-grams in the database. And when they went over that, and a couple of billion is not that much, to be honest, it just started uh, not performing well. So they decided to go for Spark. Because Spark, of course, being in memory, gives you a big uh, boost of performance uh, just out of the box, I guess. And the fun thing about the article is they more or less in detail explain how they're doing it. They're not showing code, but they're still explaining a bit under the cover how it's working. And they show you how what the difference in performance between Hive and Spark were. So where Dave and I often say it's good if people tell us what works, but it's even better if they tell us what didn't work before they found something that does work. This is one of those kinds of articles. So it's very interesting to read. It's kind of... I have only skimmed through this, I must admit, but I found it kind of odd that they uh, even like started doing it in Hive. I, they didn't actually talk about, at least not that I could see, why they actually started with a, a Hive-based solution rather than starting in Spark. I, I can't believe that it's been around for that long. 
Yeah, you wouldn't think so, right? I mean, I mean, Spark's been around for a couple of years already too. So even if they started yeah. a long time ago, they would have done this step a long time ago too. So yeah, it's yeah. a very, it's a fair question, and I haven't found an answer in it myself, and I have read it in more detail. And yeah, I mean, for some reason, uh, people like me, and I'm guessing you, you guys too, when you talk about prediction stuff, you automatically go towards Spark. But Spark is only a couple of years old, and people have been doing predictions for a long time before already. Yeah, true. So true probably enough. it's just somebody that has that had some experience doing this stuff uh, using a database and just yeah. take what you know and put it in a new model, figuring out that it doesn't work as well as you would expect or, or, or want it to, to work, and then look around what's possible in the whole ecosystem of Hadoop and find, oh, let's try Spark and see what that does. Yeah, very cool. I think the, the particularly interesting thing was the massive efficiency gains that they got and the speed gains that they got, which is kind of what you'd expect. Um, mm-hmm. But the the sort of, they were loading, I think it was 19.2 billion um, n-grams um, within a few hours in their new Spark-based solution. So, yeah, nice nice article, as you said, you know, decent amount of detail through it as well. So really, really quite cool. Yeah, Facebook, you can rely on them. Indeed. So far, so good. Okay, that was my first article. Over to you. All right. So um, this one is a little bit older. This, this uh, particular article came out uh, end of February, um, and really, it's it's a uh, it's a happy birthday. It's a congratulations. It's a uh, celebration. It's the uh, announcement that finally the Apache Ranger project. Uh, has gained top level status uh, at the Apache, Found- Apache Software Foundation. So, hooray! Yeah, congratulations to everybody that's made that happen. Um, th- we'll put uh, obviously the links to the articles in the show notes, um, but it's really quite cool. There's a it's a pair of articles. The first of which goes through um, a bit of the the history. Um, for those of you that aren't familiar with Apache Ranger. It's the sort of uh, the engine that provides uh, role-based um, access control and now asset, asset-based access control with the uh, additional work um, that's provided through Atlas. Um, but uh, it started out as a, a project or a, a commercial piece of commercial software, closed source software uh, called XA Secure from a company called XA Secure. And uh, Hortonworks acquired that organization and the uh, the engineers behind it. And uh, it was about 44,000 lines of code, apparently. Um, and Sorry, no, 440,000 lines of code. Um, important to get that decimal, pla- decimal point in the right place. Um, and uh, really, you know, the, the standard process that uh, Hortonworks often does with these kind of things, take the code... Um, you know, build it into, uh, you know, clean it all up, open source it as a Apache project, and then you know, build the community around it, uh, integrate it into the rest of the platform, and uh, and finally the announcement uh, that it has has got enough um, community presence. Um, there's enough integration with the rest of uh, what the uh, Apache projects are doing to uh, warrant it grading top level status. So. Um, it's really a to me. It's a sign of the maturity um, that uh, that Ranger has uh, has maintained. Yeah, that's uh, excellent timing too. Because uh, I know on premise these days, uh, Hadoop clusters tend to more and more be uh, Kerberized and also use uh, Ranger and Atlas. 
But coming from a cloud world, it's a totally different world there still, because setting up Kerberos and Ranger takes a bit of time. And in the cloud, you often have these Hadoop on demand uh, clusters, which have very short lives, and you just don't take a week to set up the first security. So having a completely adult Ranger, mature Ranger, that really helps a lot in getting it actually enabled and used in these clusters, because it is important in the cloud and on-premise. Yeah. Um, and just for, for people that want to know more, uh, I thoroughly recommend the second article, which is um, really just giving you a, a single article walking you from beginning to end, very high level walkthrough about everything that Ranger does. So everything from uh, how it deals with attribute based access control, or asset based access controls, I often call it, um, gives you information about the architecture tells you about how the actual policy engine executes, talks to you a little bit about the rules, dynamic masking, all those kind of things. So, you know, if, if it's the first time you've heard about the project Apache Ranger, these two articles are a pretty good step to introduce you to the topic. Yeah, and don't forget that it's not only just access control, but also things like dynamic masking and row filtering, which are also being mentioned in the second article. Yeah, yeah, very so. much so. And uh, I mean, uh, the range integration in Hive is uh, quite deep for doing this uh, row row filtering and dynamic masking uh, capabilities. How deep is Ranger in the other parts of the ecosystem today? I mean, it's getting there. I mean, you can do quite a a depth of control about uh, what's happening within um, you know Solar and you know Kafka and Storm. Um, uh, you've got control over what you can do with the HBase as well. So there's there's quite a reasonable number of um, components now that uh, that you need to integrate with. You obviously got the ability to control permissions on on Yarn queues as well. Um, there's Nox integration, um, HDFS integration. So it's it's certainly getting there it's certainly getting there and obviously hdfs integration is the the underlying base for for all of this so i it's it's really quite uh, it's been quite a journey yeah, um yeah, yeah. i think so it was 2 years ago so that's it's uh, very interesting for me as well because uh, I have a security background mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm, i've been asked uh, in my company to look into uh, ranger and this is a very useful article for me. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. It should give you a very nice overview of everything uh, everything it can do without going too deep. Because that's uh, oftentimes the problem with articles on Hadoop. They go very deep very quickly. But this is a nice introduction, let's say. Covers the whole thing. Now, the one thing that I always get asked is, where's the Spark plugin? So because Spark is just another Yarn application from that perspective, it's it's not something that you would typically secure that way. So again, the the primary approach for securing a Spark, as it were, is you just control access to the data the same way you control access to the data for any other layer. So you control access to the, uh, the files in HDFS that are being accessed. You control access to the Hive tables that you'd be you know, pulling in through Spark SQL and, and so on. So there's no specific um, kind of Spark direct integration in that same way. Well, I partially agree with you there. For most uh, use cases of Spark, that's totally correct. But when you're talking about Spark streaming, 
I mean, the, the batch streaming that uh, Spark can do. There is a Storm plugin that actually allows you to uh, to control who is able to start, stop a topology, restart topology, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, doing the Spark streaming would, I think, allow that kind of modalities as well. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. Um, but that being said, but- I don't know anybody who's actually protected Storm in that faction in that fashion. Again, most people um, protect their data sets that Storm uses using the store of the simple yarn and uh, HCFS plugins in uh, Ranger. I haven't really seen much use of that Storm. You are allowed to start topology faction. They haven't seen it much used anyway. So maybe because of that, Spark has decided, well, we'll see if somebody asks for it first. <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, if you look at how other other solutions are... Um, are moving with with range integration outside of core HDP, it, it's it's also quite a slow uh, a slow progress. I know that um, just very recently, earlier on this year, for example, um, Apache Hawk added uh, back into trunk the uh, or not back into trunk, but added into trunk their. Um, uh, Ranger plugin pieces as well. So I'm guessing that you're going to see an Apache Hawk um, Ranger piece of Ranger integration sometime later on this year, um, as if that, that code started emerging. Yeah, and becoming a top level pro- project for Apache Ranger also will help that, of course, because as long as you're not a top level, you're still incubating. There's still a lot of movement. I, people expect a lot of movement to still happen. So the API not to be totally frozen yet. So backwards compatibility issues, blah, blah, blah. Now, in my opinion, Ranger hasn't had that history at all, but still as a third party vendor of software to integrate with an incubating project, uh, maybe there's still a hurdle too big. And now that it's top level, people will adopt it more rapidly. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair, but uh, I think I would I would summarize the the article with congratulations to everybody that's been involved in Apache Ranger, and uh, yeah, looking forward to see uh, what happens uh, from this point onwards. Yeah, definitely. All right, over to you then. Okay, my next one is a short one. It's not really a technology-based one at all, but a couple of articles have appeared, and I've taken one from Silicon Angle here. It's titled, Big Data Pioneer Cloudera Reportedly Planning an IPO Later This Year. Now, this is, of course, total rumor-mongering, but since I did find this uh, noise on a couple of, well, reputable sites, let's say, uh, there must be some uh, fire behind the smoke, and Cloudera has been. Ex- everybody expected Cloudera to do this a lot earlier. At this moment in time, I think only Hortonworks has actual uh, stock listing. Yeah, Bar is also still a private company, right? Yes, indeed. So Cloudera will be the second one to try this, and well, a couple of tech firms have gone uh, IPO recently, so at the, the it's back in vogue apparently. But it will be quite interesting to see this happen, I think, because at the moment we can everybody can see the insights, the financial insights, let's say, of one of the Hadoop vendors, but none of the others, which also may always makes the very one-sided discussion if you talk about is this world alive or not. So if Caldera does this, I'm very interested to see how this will affect not the technology behind it, because it's still open source in Apache, so there's no you know no issues there, but how the I don't know business is going to look at the environment i think what will be particularly interesting will be the 
difference between, or you know, if they do go IPO, you know, they'll start reporting a lot of information that previously people have only been able to guess around, like things like, you know, how much of their revenue is actually from licensed products and how much is just from you know support the open source components and things like that. I'd be kind of curious. Yep, you're right. So it's going to be interesting to see how this uh, evolves in the future. And, uh, well, let's wish them best of luck with their IPO. Indeed, indeed. And as always, uh, competition drives innovation. So, uh, you know, having a, a second uh, big data uh, Hadoop distribution uh, go IPO is only going to continue to, to fan those flames of competition. So uh, all for it. It is a bit remarkable, though, that uh, open source companies are going to the stock doing IPOs, while very traditional vendors like Adele, for example, are going away from there, becoming private companies again. I'm wondering if this is, a, if this is indicative of a maturity phase of a company or something. I don't know. Well, I, I think Dell in particular was a, a bit of a, a strange situation there. They wanted to do something that was difficult to make sense for individual stockholders um, that they could go and do whatever the heck they wanted if they uh, took everything private again. So <laughs> doesn't really yeah. sound like the right reason to do this. But anyway, well, let's go yeah. back to technology. <laughs> okay, let's not bore so the audience we're talking, too much. Yeah. So if we're talking technology, how about some data-driven user engagement? Oh yes, please. Um, Can I have some more? You can, you can. So this is another article from Silicon Valley Data Science. Um, they seem to have been on a, a you know quite a nice uh, run recently of producing some really nice articles. Um, so this one uh, looks like there's a, a trio of people behind it: uh, Chloe Moore, Ben Everson, Tom Fawcett. Actually, a quad of people and Seen or Sean Sorth, Storth. Possibly. So they're looking at this from the perspective of, first of all, kind of understanding that uh, customer life cycle, um, understanding how the customers are using those products and, and uh, technologies, um, actually getting some idea around the actual product engagement with behavioral data, um, trying to find out um, you know, when people struggle with that product or what opportunities there are to uh, improve that experience. And then build an integrated set of analytics around the uh, infrastructure and the product and everything else. Um, so it, it's a high-ish, yeah. No, it is a high-level document. It doesn't go into too much detail. Um, but it does give you um, some nice thoughts around the, the sorts of things that you can use this for. So, for example, uh, it talks about uh, customer segmentation and, you know, how you'd identify or develop KPIs uh, to make sense of that customer segmentation, um, how you'd use this information to um, provide uh, other information around cross-sell or upsell of, of new technologies or products um, to existing uh, existing customers. And one of the most important things around this for, for many uh, businesses um, are in preve uh, preventing customer loss through uh, through detection of early indicators. So you know, in the, in a telco world, you know, it's often known as churn prevention um, or churn prediction. Um, and you know, this these kind of things. It's not just uh, telcos that are dealing with churn. Almost every business, you know, is trying to yep. not just uh, not just keep their existing customer base, uh, but grow it 
as well and uh, if you can if you can be successful in reaching out proactively to your customers when you think that there might be a risk there um, you know it's definitely one of those ways to remain successful yeah i would have loved them to be a little bit more deeper level i mean it's nice to talk about things you can do but i'm always looking at these kind of articles to give me some more insight about new ways of actually doing it because uh, things like customer churn have been done to that. Basically, everybody has done that. You can pretty much buy off-the-shelf solutions for that. Yeah. So those are based on insights people had, I don't know, five years ago. The world moves this fast today. There must have, must be new ways of doing the same thing in a more intelligent, faster, performant, better results offering way. And a bit, yes. Sad that they didn't go in a little more, bit more depth on how to do this. And I'm not talking really going deep down into the coding, but more, okay, to do this stuff, which features are interesting? What should you look at? What shouldn't you look at? What have we been looking at in the past and turned out not to be interesting? Things like that. Yeah, my guess would be that... Um, there's a bit you know, i mean let's face it all of these kind of blog posts are really they're all about marketing right they're all about look at all the cool things that we do we could do these cool things for you so i get the impression from the the level of these articles that these are teasers to make you think oh these guys know what they're talking about uh, let's get them in to go and uh, go and fix some of our problems for us so yeah unfortunately i you know i agree i i wish they would go into more depth unfortunately it's probably unlikely that they will do uh, well we've seen other companies do it i mean more and more these kind of propositions people don't trust it anymore unless they can actually show that they know what the, what they're doing under the hood as well and again they don't have to give away the the, the crown jewels that's not the the, the goal here but uh, this is a bit too uh, I don't see the customers that I'm talking to place enough faith in this kind of article to actually go to the next level with these people. They will have to open up a bit more. Yeah. But as I say, if this is enough to get someone to reach out and think, oh, maybe they're worth talking to, then it's done their job. All right. Over to you. Over to me. Yeah, I got another uh, short article here, and the article itself isn't really that interesting. It's another movement in the big data machine learning market. And when I found this a couple of days ago, it was still a rumor. But uh, since this morning or yesterday evening, it has exactly become a fact. And the thing I'm talking about is Google is acquiring the data science community, Kaggle. Uh, uh, good luck to Google, of course. Good luck to Kaggle. No problem with that. But I do wonder how a company can acquire a community. Now, from the information that's uh, surfaced since the rumors uh, came up, it turns out that Kaggle has been using the Google platform quite a bit for the uh, competitions they're running and they're making uh, infrastructure on the Google Cloud available to Kaggle users and the community. So that's fine and that's great and that's perfect and I like them for that. But that's not the Kaggle community, right? The Kaggle community is people like you, me, and uh, Marshall Jan and everybody else who use the platform to interact, to get new insights and stuff like that. And on the one hand, it's a brilliant PR job for Google because this is going to make them very relevant in the machine learning environment, definitely. It's going to make Google 
I don't know, make it easier for them, I guess, to uh, get good data scientists to come and work for Google, because a big part, well, a big part, a, a relevant part of Kaggle is the job board, job listing. But I can't see how Google is going to get more value out of this, because if any company acquires a community and really puts a heavy foot on it, people just run away. And you simply yeah, dismantle the whole community. Anyway, Marcel, what is your yep. thought about this? I don't have a lot of thoughts about this, but uh, if I'm looking at the Kaggle site now. I've looked at it before, and uh, so they host not only data sets and have a job board. I didn't know that, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm becoming a data engineer, not a data scientist, so have me looking there. But uh, I've seen they also host competitions. Maybe yep. they get something out of that. I don't know. Well, yes and no, because both Google, Facebook, Microsoft, everybody's hosting uh, uh, competitions on uh, Kaggle. And yeah. one of the fears I've seen surfacing is that now that Google becomes the owner of the platform, will these other companies still put their competitions on the, the Kaggle infrastructure? Because that's basically also how yeah. the job board works. You can actually do these competitions, show the world how good you are, and these companies can then see, oh, these are good guys. They've finished our competition with good results, so let's give them a job. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, though, because if you know any, any sort of acquisition like this that is largely based around people, it's very difficult to retain that community in any meaningful sense. I mean, I... I can't believe that there's any real value. In fact, this article even states that there's any real value in the infrastructure per se that uh, Kaggle put together. I have no doubt that Google could build competing infrastructure this very quickly and very easily. So it's got to be about that community, hasn't it? And, you know, they're going to have to be very careful to maintain that community. And you're right. I, I wonder if they've actually not destroyed, but certainly made a significant impact, uh, negative impact towards Kaggle by acquiring it. I can't help thinking that if, they, if they'd done something slightly different, partnered with it or yeah, I don't, just I, you know, invested in it. Or, available to it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, something like that. Because uh, you know, now that Kaggle is owned by Google, I can't see that um, so many of those other organizations would continue... Um, you know, contributing to it with competitions and things in that way. I, I just, you know, knowing how large organisations work, it just, it just seems unlikely, which I think is unfortunate because I think Kaggle's been a, a really cool, interesting place to do really cool, interesting things. Yeah, I mean, we've referenced them a lot on the podcast already, so yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's great that a big company is willing to sponsor a, a thing like this, and that's perfect. But the thing that and I'm not going to say annoys, but um, uh, irritates, nah, which, which I think is very specific here, is Google has a bit of reputation of starting brilliant things and then discontinuing it. Yeah. I'm very afraid that Kaggle Google's interaction becomes a very good synergy and it works and it works and it works and then Google finds a new flavor of the day and Kaggle just yeah goes away and disappears and that would be a shame. I, I just uh, I just read one of the comments uh, and uh, if you're out there and listening it's awesome but uh, this person just responded with I love monopolies too. I have to because there's literally no other choice. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I, I think it's 
yeah, interesting times. I guess, I guess yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, interesting times. I mean, this does seem to become the moment where a lot of companies are joining, merging, getting together, becoming bigger power blocks, if you like. So, yeah, it's going to be a year of change, I think. And on that note, back to you. All right. So this is the this is the second. Uh, article I have from Silicon Valley Data Science, similar sort of level, so all the same comments apply. Um, and I actually, I actually came across this article first, and it's referred to um, that the previous one we just discussed uh, was referred to as an earlier post. So I thought I'd uh, present these in the order they should be read. So this one is about um, driving product engagement with user behavior analytics. So again, similar sort of um, premise behind it uh, talks about um, you know the the sorts of things you should care about when you're looking at uh, product analytics. Um, you know, instrument the products where there are gaps in in what you can see in the visibility of those metrics. Um, integrating the data across multiple different products and be able to follow your users um, across multiple different platforms. Again, pieces around KPIs, um, you know, building that into um, sort of some some form of product analytics to give you um, a strategy and, and a roadmap around that. And again, all the different elements that you need to think about when you're doing that. Um, and then going through onto uh, experimentation, um, A/B testing, multivariate testing, um, and you know, so a famous example of this was. Um, Spotify do a lot of A/B testing uh, on their platform that a lot of a lot of people uh, aren't aware of, but uh, it, you know they're quite public about it. They did some testing uh, quite a while ago now, I think, about uh, the um, whether or not if you're using their their free product, if you would if users would prefer uh, to have longer stretches of music and then longer stretches of adverts or. Uh, shorter stretches of music and then shorter stretches of adverts um, and you know, they they all had you know very good suppositions as to whether one would be better than the other it turns out that during a you know a full a b test across their entire network uh, made no difference at all so <laughs> basically so, people hate advertising <laughs> yeah people hate advertising but they love listening to music so they'll kind of suffer through whatever and it didn't really make any difference um but you know it goes through all of these different elements and again it's another it's another high level article it would be nice if they would go into more depth but it's for me this is kind of the um, this is one of those things that you can go through. You can identify probably the pieces of information you do have, the pieces you don't have, and you can almost use this article as a kind of checklist about, okay, now I understand this kind of space and what I need to achieve. Let's, uh, let's, let's go and do it. And whether you use uh, these folks or not, I think it's quite a good, as I say, good checklist level uh, document. Would be nice if we go into more depth. Yeah, well, considering that we are actually started a series on use case podcasts, we'll probably go over the churn use case as well. So for more in-depth discussion on these things, just listen to us. Yeah, absolutely. And we will go into more depth. All right, over to you. Uh, yeah, my final one 
the ultimate one is a article. I'm trying to find the link again. It's on ZNet or ZDNet, however you pronounce that. I still don't know. From George Anadiotis. Brilliant name. And it's called How to Use Blockchain to Build a Database Solution. Now, I put this in there because even though blockchain isn't really Hadoop or Hadoop at all, it does encroach more and more into the big data space. And in my day-to-day job, which is also partly uh, evangelizing Hadoop and big data and uh, everything around it, I get asked more and more about this blockchain thing. Can I use this instead of fill in the blank, instead of Storm, instead of Spark, instead of Hive, instead of whatever? And this is the first article that actually talks about using blockchain to build a database. Now, if you read the article, and I do suggest that you do, because they go into not too much depth, but uh, enough, they actually do say that, no, you can't build a database using blockchain. But these guys twisted around and are using blockchain in a database. Now, I don't want to talk about the article itself too much, but I just want to... Have in discussion up about yeah blockchain how have you guys encountered it or not how do you look at it so can, can we just read one one little piece out of the article that i thought was brilliant well you can quote out of the article that i gave you which i think is brilliant too yeah. okay so there's a there's a section it's in the first third of the document um in of the article and it says the problem is the blockchain as a database is awful measured in traditional database standards Throughput is just a few transactions per second. Latency before a single confirmed write is 10 minutes. And the capacity is a few dozen gigabytes. Um, I mean, nobody needs more than 64 kilobytes, right? (laughs) Indeed. It's definitely, and and it goes on and on, like network traffic quadruples with their improvement in throughput, all these kind of things. Yeah. Epic. Sound a bit like uh, that Dilbert comic where the uh, the pointy-haired boss uh, says, "I want to use the blockchain," and Dilbert wonders, "Has he really read something about it, or does he know anything?" He said, "What color do you want the blockchain?" <laughs> blockchain. The <laughs> <laughs> response is mauve. Mauve is probably the good color for it. Yeah, yeah, a bit like yeah. Can we ch- do blockchains uh, blockchains in the database? Uh, yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's useful. Yeah. Well, it does Turns have its out. uses, of course, but... Yeah. I mean, I still I, I, st- I still see a lot more people talking about it than I see using it, by far. Um, and it, I don't know. I, I find... I have skimmed through the article, and I find the... The use of it with uh, this kind of big chain DB um, implementation, a little bit weird. I'm still kind of getting my head around some of the internals that they talk about and some of the follow-on links from it. But, I mean, really, it was designed as this kind of distributed tamper-proof ledger. That's really, that's its strength. And anything else on from that is... uh, I have no doubt, certainly possible, um, but... Yeah, but if you look at it from the Capturian point, point of view, it does answer a couple of those things. I mean, persistency and getting a distributed database working in sync all the time. It does have that part of it in it, I guess. I, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying, <Yes>. I'm trying. 
uh, I just, I just, it just feels like. Um, I mean, this particular example just feels like someone's desperately trying to make a tech, uh, make a technology that isn't a distributed ledger out of blockchain, so they can go, look, we've done it, rather than. Yeah, that's actually have a real solid reason around it. That's my general idea about blockchain today. It's a solution looking for a problem. Yeah. Because it's nice and it's new kind of thinking and it's, yeah, it's nice. It's brilliant. I mean, the guys who taught us out, they, they got something new here, but apart from the, the Bitcoin solution and the banking stuff and I guess the smart contracts, it's an, again, a nice idea behind it, but I haven't seen it in any kind of practicality yet. So I was very happy when I saw this article. Hey, database with blockchain. Wow. And then they say themselves, the thing, the part you quoted, it's basically bad. <laughs> yeah. Although, do you, did you notice at the very end of the article that uh, they first kind of launched, and I use the word launched in inverted commas this, back in, back in uh, May uh, 2016 um, and uh, and you know they'd set expectations back then that hey we'll have this up and running in no time <laughs> and uh, yeah they've only really just uh, got things up and running now so uh, he, you know he does apologize profusely and all that kind of good stuff but to me that just says wow this was a lot harder than we expected Anyway, I was happy to see finally an article that I thought was going to be useful, but it's still a nice article to read up on how you might think about using it. But as you say, it's more of a lesson into maybe not ready for production just yet. Indeed, indeed, indeed. And that's it for me. That's uh, the end of my article chain. I think you don't have any articles anymore either. No, nothing else from me. Come back to us after the break, where we'll be talking to uh, Marcel Jan Kriegsman, who has uh, won our raffle and, by pure coincidence, is starting a, uh, a role dedicated around Hadoop. And uh, so we're going to be talking about the the uh, the journey of the new starter, how they got there, uh, what they're looking forward to, and all kinds of exciting stuff like that. Stay with us after the break. As Dave already introduced a little bit, this is going to be our first episode where we talk about the different roles in the big data and Hadoop environment. And uh, purely by coincidence, when we contacted Marcel Jan about his uh, lucky win of the uh, free ticket for the Hort for the DataWorks uh, Summit, I should say, uh, he uh, confided in me that he was starting a new job on the first of this month uh, in uh, big data as a Hadoop scientist. So we had a quick chat about, oh, that's interesting. We were going to invite you anyway to just say hi and thank you for the ticket. But this is actually quite interesting because we do try to direct this podcast at starters in the whole big data environment as well. So if you as a starter, and this is the role we have now defined, the Hadoop big data starter, if you would come on the podcast and just explain a little bit uh, where you came from, I mean, assuming you have a... Uh, history that's somewhat related to it or maybe not at all just talk about who you are where you come from and what made you start this wonderful journey into the big data world okay i'm uh, marcian krijgsman from the netherlands and uh, i've been working with oracle 
products, Oracle databases, for the last 20 years. I've been an Oracle database uh, administrator. Uh, last two years, I've been uh, I, I worked for at uh, Rabobank, a uh, large bank in the Netherlands, in the last four and a half years. The last two years, I've been um, something like a tech lead in the Oracle uh, department where we were working. And uh, yeah, after a while, I found out this is not really what I want. I want to do technical stuff. I love being love solving puzzles. So, sorry uh, to interrupt there, puzzles. but in your uh, earlier career, so what part of the career didn't allow you to do that? Was that the financial environment that didn't uh, let you do that or the Oracle environment? The solving problems, the, the thing you want to do? Well, let me tell you, uh, I, I've been uh, a performance, uh, a database performance specialist, and there was a, there were a lot of problems to be solved. Uh, <laughs> it actually surprised me how often they asked me to, to do my thing. <laughs> uh, um, I also very, been very interested in uh, security. That's not so much puzzles, but more like, uh, <clears throat> well, there's a big risk I'm seeing. Uh, um, but uh, as a tech lead, uh, you, uh, especially at my last uh, employer, uh, I was more doing uh, meetings, a uh, lot of uh, reading, a lot of art articles, writing a lot of articles, discussing a lot of things, okay. and I was completely missing uh, the technical side of, of things. And I'm, and that point, I was, I was thinking I needed to do something uh, different in my career. And uh, I could go back to Oracle, but Oracle at that point already was heavily moving to the cloud. So I was thinking, is I see, saw a lot of uh, interesting stuff happening outside uh, the database world. And at that point, I thought, what what about uh, big data? And um, so, after a long story short, uh, uh, I decided to. To look into uh, Hadoop, mm -hmm. uh, I've done a couple of uh, trainings via Coursera, Coursera.org, um, and I got very excited. <laughs> I really liked uh, what I was seeing. Uh, done, uh, I've done uh, Hadoop platform mm -hmm. and application framework, or I may be jumbling these uh, words around. Uh, big data, big data analytics. I've done a couple of Python courses because uh, a lot of these courses are in in Python. Uh, do you need to program some stuff in Python? And I didn't know Python at all, so I got very very enthusiastic about uh, Python. By the way, uh, it's I've a Dutch invention. By the way, hmm? it's a Dutch invention. Python. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, <laughs> Dutch or not, uh, I, I just. Uh, I'm just love. I just love Python. <laughs> uh, so that was a uh, something, some a discovery of mine. And I've done a machine learning course uh, because basically, first I was following uh, data, uh, big data specialization. Uh, but I read that the big uh, the machine learning course from Stanford was much better. So I followed that course. Um, but still. Uh, I'm not going to become a data scientist yet. I'm more thinking about a data engineer because it's more in line with what I used to do as a database uh, administrator. So, yeah, that's basically... Uh, and, uh, and I tried to get a job as a d uh, data uh, engineer, but a lot of people, a lot of corporations think uh, you're completely new, you're green. 
uh, that's dangerous for us. Uh, I told them, yeah, okay, look, I've been working with data for 20 years, so <laughs> you can't take this risk with me. And at, at, uh, just by chance, I encountered uh, uh, the manager, a manager from uh, Open Circle Solutions company in Eindhoven in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And um, they took a chance with me. And uh, I've become a data engineer since uh, the first of this month. Well, congratulations again. <laughs> Thank you. And then I suddenly won a raffle. <laughs> <laughs> that you're going to Data Work Summit, and, uh, and that's uh, that's really great. I was really, I was already, I've been to a lot of a uh, couple of conferences uh, on, uh, when I was uh, Oracle uh, doing doing Oracle related work, and I was already thinking, what kind of conferences are there uh, in the Hadoop? world and apparently i've already found it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i've been going to the hadoop summit as it used to be called now the data work summit for for years now and i'm always very impressed and happy when i do that the only other big conference which relates would be the strata and hadoop world the problem for me is usually it's not close to home enough it's always across the pond if you want to have the interesting one while the hadoop summit even the european version was always very interesting and very yeah, fulfilling so, well, we'll meet each other there. We'll talk about it more when we meet there. And, uh, well, we hope you have a good time there. Yeah, and uh, thanks again for this uh, this, uh, this ticket. Uh, thank Hortonworks, uh, our sponsor, for that. <laughs> well, thank, thanks, uh, Hortonworks. Uh, that's uh, really great. Uh, and turns out I'm also going with two colleagues from my company. Oh, that's good. So, so uh, yeah, because uh, we're uh, starting. Uh, there is already a, a data, big data team uh, there with data scientists and data engineers and I'm sure the new data engineers but uh, we're going with uh, one manager and a data scientist to uh, to the summit so yeah should be a good time now going back to the things you talked about when you introduced yourself uh, you say you're coming from Oracle uh, Oracle has of course a Cloudera based uh, Hadoop solution they also try to sell were you already involved in that part of Oracle as well and is that where you got the no. bug no, 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 no. Okay, Oops. that's a short answer. <laughs> yeah. Now I've, I've looked in the in the big data uh, products of Oracle, but they're usually big and uh, very expensive. And um, yeah, I, uh, that's all I know. <laughs> usually, usually they 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 buy uh, they 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 try to sell a very large and very uh, big. Uh, uh, platform they say here you can do all your big data on while i was reading about hadoop i thought it was supposed to be able to run on a large uh cheaper <laughs> on cheaper cheaper hardware or on cloud or anything so i found that solution always a bit weird actually so from your experience would you say that it is difficult even if you're working in a uh, well big company in this case that has a big data component to it that is still hard to to get a connection to it at Rabank we also they also had uh, big data but uh, I tried to get in there but uh, unfortunately at that point there was a big reorganization going on and uh, it didn't work out so uh, yes. yeah uh, banking is going through a bit of a struggle at the moment <laughs> yeah Okay, then you talked about doing uh, MOOC courses with uh, Coursera and stuff. Did you start yep. doing the courses before you started looking for another job? Or did one come from the other? Or how did that go? 
uh, I was looking for a job, and at one company I was uh, I did uh, I, I've been uh, uh, I visited one company just to orient uh, the market a bit, and uh, they I said I wanted to work with big data, and they told me uh, so. What have you done yourself? And I was thinking, oh, okay, fair point. And at a certain point, uh, I decided, to, uh, yeah, okay, all this, these MOOC courses are there for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, why not? Why not start on that? Uh, took uh, took a couple of weeks <laughs> studying, but uh, yeah, like I said, I got very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> I, I, I was thinking, this is really cool. And yeah, why haven't I seen this before? And uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because the in many cases, you know, we've talked a number of different episodes about uh, the training that's available online, and you know the the kind of quality, uh, the you know very high quality of that training, especially considering it's largely free. Um, you know, all you have to do in, is invest your your time in it. Which was the you know which were some of the courses that you would recommend um, from from your experience. Uh, I've, I've followed. Uh, um, well, the, the thing is, I followed the uh, courses from the uh, University of California in San Diego, uh, the the Hadoop and the uh, de- the Big Data Analytics uh, um, courses. Uh, when you look at a site called Class Central, they rate these MOOCs, the uh, the courses. Uh, they're not very highly rated, but I enjoyed them nonetheless. I just uh, it's, for me, it was all new and just wonderful. Uh, the, nice, yeah, yeah. The, um, I, I've seen after that there are some great courses on Udacity as well from, uh, about Hadoop. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look on uh, classcentral.com, uh, there's uh, uh, you, you can just. Uh, and uh, search for a uh, topic you want to learn <clears throat> and uh, uh, well uh, you can just fill in Hadoop and find interesting courses there uh, I found uh, the uh, Python courses from uh, the from Rice University uh, the, these were very good <laughs> you learn Python by programming programming uh, uh, games mm-hmm. and uh, the machine learning course of uh, Stanford was also very good but uh took a lot of time not all MOOCs uh, take the le- the same time a week uh, <laughs> i can tell from experience <laughs> these uh, yeah that was something like uh, 8 to 10 week uh, hours a week uh, so that was uh, yeah was tough but uh, very interesting yeah yeah, I didn't know about the Class Central site. I'm going to put this link in the show notes so people can also use that. But uh, yeah, useful. yeah, but, yeah. but as any curation goes, you have to yeah know what kind of site it is and see if their opinion is uh, in in sync with your opinion. So sometimes when you think it's great, they say it's not, and that that just happens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, always form your own opinion, and but yeah, you can start uh, the, these courses uh, for free. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's only t- going to take some time. Yeah. Yeah, personally, I've been uh, more going. I've been going more to the edx.org platform because on the Coursera side, all of the or most of the courses, at least when I looked at it, were being graded by peer review, which kind of was a hit and miss. If the guys that reviewed your work were serious about the thing, you get a good reply, you get a good review, but sometimes you just got somebody putting a zero just for the heck of it. And on the EDX platform, most of the courses there actually have a uh, professor graded exam let's say at the end how is that for your uh, courses yeah that that's different 
Yeah, yeah, I've, I've had a couple of courses that uh, are were uh, peer reviewed. That, for example, the Python uh, courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not that bad, uh, but I also had these uh, auto grader uh, courses. Uh, okay. And, uh, that's not always fun. Uh, I've <laughs> done uh, a, a big data course a couple of years ago, uh, uh, but didn't uh, didn't get to, <laughs> me and Python didn't go along very well back, back then. Uh, and they had auto-graded Python uh, um, uh, program, programs. So uh, you had to do uh, something with a Twitter feed, and you had to program make something in Python to do the right stuff uh, with uh, uh, concerning uh, the Twitter feed. And I remember I had seven assign seven exercises in a week, and I was stuck at exercise two and just couldn't get it through the outer grader. Mm-hmm. And later on, I found it was a really trivial thing I, I did wrong. But the outer grader doesn't tell you you're doing yeah, yeah, it yeah, wrong. Yeah. It's just it's, just ah, it's wrong. Also not pass, yeah. So that's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of MOOCs also have a kind of discussion board attached to it, where for every course and every run of a course, you have a specific uh, area where you can talk with other students taking the course at that time. And yeah. that's usually how you try and figure those things out. Yeah. On the other hand, a lot of people ask the question, what's the solution on those yeah, <laughs> discussion yeah. boards? And yeah, what I'm doing wrong. And then, then they tell you, yeah, well, uh, do this. You, can't, <laughs> you can't post the Python code, so you can't post the code. So how are you going to discuss what you're doing wrong? That's sometimes very hard. Yeah, yeah I actually have experience there because I've actually been assistant teacher on one of these MOOC courses for EDX. So I've been there. I've lived that. Yon's <laughs> a SWAT. What can we say? A what? A SWAT? A SWAT. But uh, I, I do think that it's very, very cool. The um, you, know, you can find something that you think could be interesting, get a whole bunch of free courses and free training that... As, as I've said before, it's like very, very high quality. You know, yes, there's a few pieces now and again, but I'm interested around the sort of how you moved from getting, you know, you'd done a few courses, you'd found something interesting, um, you'd found a few topic areas that, that you found an affinity with. How did you then kind of transition from that into into the, into the, the, the full kind of job search? How did you match up? Um, you know the the kind of areas you thought you're interested in with the kind of companies you you, were, you wanted to join um yeah well um well first of all uh when you do these MOOC courses uh don't expect you get a a, a job right away <laughs> because it's not the same as following a, a couple of day course uh uh it, yeah, you have to do a little bit more than that. But uh, I guess I'm get a good talker. And I had a couple of uh, discussions uh, with a couple of companies. Some said uh, that was rather strange. Oh, maybe not. Can, yeah, that's very nice. You're doing the big data stuff. But can you do Oracle again? <laughs> <laughs> and at a certain point, I was of the opinion, you know, I have to focus on one thing. So it's going to be a data engineer. Yep. Or it's going to be Oracle DBA again, but not both and uh, uh, getting the question to certify for Oracle 12, the last version of Oracle as well. That's you have to do. You have to fo- when you start a new job, you just have to focus on it. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot of company, a couple of companies uh, were interested at first, but then uh, turned me away because they didn't want They thought the gamble was too big. But uh, 
Well, I thought uh, I'm just going to push on. <laughs> and then uh, at a certain point, uh, I was at uh, uh, the also a good tip, I think. Uh, go to meetups, go to uh, yeah. expos. Uh, I found uh, uh, people from Open Circle Solutions at the Big Data Expo in Utrecht. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and that's also a good, uh, good thing. When you're at an uh, uh, expo like that, uh, you can talk to a lot of people. So I was talking, so as well, I, I already, was already thinking, I want to become a data engineer. So what's going to take to become a data, enge- data engineer? I'm just going to ask. <laughs> so uh, yep. I've been talking to data scientists. So I asked, so... I want to become a data engineer. What do you think is good quality for a data engineer? So they said, well, you need to know about the cloud. I want them to make uh, the data platform fast so I can iterate quickly through a lot of data. So, uh, but they said, but uh, you should ask at that stand uh, more because they have this great cloud platform. So I went that stand. So I went <laughs> from one stand to the other stand <laughs> and uh, uh, talking to a lot of people and get a I've got a good, great idea how uh, uh, what is possible in uh, the big data uh, world and uh, what is not. So that was uh, very interesting. Yeah, that's a really nice, really nice way to approach it. Yeah, it does demonstrate the importance of having a network there to, to really know the people, talk to people, and get your name around a bit. Because when you earlier said I went to the MOOC courses because a person asked me what is my experience in big data, they didn't ask you what kind of diploma do you have. They didn't ask you what what school did you attend. They asked you what have you done. And the only way yep. to get that that voice out there is actually doing things with, like as you explained, talking to people, going around to the meetups, doing a meetup yourself, standing up in front of a group of people, and just explaining about what you're doing. Yeah, it does go back. I know we've we've talked about this when we've talked about training and certifications. It goes back to you know my my view, which is very strongly that experience counts more than than anything else, and whether that's kind of uh, you know real world experience in inverted commas uh, a a project you've done with an organization or even just you know training driven driven exercises that you've done it's still experience and it's still uh, still seems to be um, the sort of thing that people focus on first so yeah it's a nice approach yeah it's pretty much the only approach i think today (laughs) yeah and um, as soon as i i've gained more experience i'm I'm planning to get into uh get get more know more of of some niches i'm I'm very interested in security for example Mm -hmm. so uh, like uh like uh, ranger apache ranger sounds very interesting i'm also been looking uh uh, uh, maybe interesting to tell uh when i was uh, on oracle dba i did a hacking course for oracle dbas so I'm looking already, is there something possible uh, in Hadoop to do uh, those kind of hacking course for, for for data engineers or data scientists? It would be interesting. Oh, I've, in my experience, a lot of companies organize hackathons or data hackathons, as I used to call them then, specifically around these kind of things. So, yeah, it happens a lot. And, and even, uh, especially when we're talking about security, I mean, there are, there are two two real elements around security with uh, with big data you've got you know the security of the underlying platform which is all about you know ranger and kerberos and nox and all these other kind of elements but then you've got actually using hadoop for security you know for cyber security oh, yeah. Yeah. so um, things like uh, apache metron that i'm you know, heavily involved in at the moment 
is uh, is very very uh, focused on delivering that kind of experience. So yeah, it's there's there's a lot going on with cybersecurity and uh, and and big data. Yeah, and also of course you know make, making the move going from Oracle, which is a closed source proprietary piece of software, to yeah, the big data open source world. So doing hackathons and getting your feet dirty and figuring out how things work is a lot easier and harder at the same time because there's not as much documentation, but more of uh, here's the stuff. Go and look for yourself. Yep. Nice. And that's why hackathons are very important in this uh, in this business and pr- actually participating uh, in hackathons because it's one way of reading about something, something else doing an exercise which is already prepared by somebody so they know it's going to work and you just follow along, basically. A real hackathon, if it's a real hackathon, it's just, yeah, we have this thing, try and make it work and just figure it out as you go. Yep. We uh, at uh, Open Circle are, by the way, Open Circle Solutions are, all, are also planning a hackathon. So mm-hmm. in, it's a, I think it's an in-company hackathon, but uh, we're really l- looking for uh, topics. and. Uh, Nice. That shouldn't be too hard to search. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's usually it's it's usually the the question of how on earth do you res- do you tie down? You know, people have got all kinds of ideas of things they'd like to do. How do you select one of them rather than the others? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, always pretty exciting. So other things that people might think uh, find interesting when you move from a job at a established company, a bank doing Oracle stuff that does sound like a reasonably high paying job. Now you're moving into a big data solution, uh, Hadoop oriented open source world. Uh, I have my opinion around this, of course, but I want to ask you the question. Did you have to make a big change on the financial responsibility level? Is that just in sync or are you now a millionaire? It's, uh, it's, it's uh, basically in sync. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. it's uh, actually, uh, it's not bad. And now I get a lease car as well. So that's, uh, I, I'm not complaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I have heard people that uh, wanted to do something with Hadoop, but yeah, that's that open source thing. So basically that's not going to pay a lot of money, is it? In my opinion as well, it's just a job like another, right? If you know what you're doing, you will get uh, remuneration that's in sync. Yeah, yeah. I I think there's there's very little difference between um, you know proprietary organisations and and open source organisations. You know, if if you're good at what you do, you can get remuneration that uh, re- that reflects that. In my experience, and in my experience, it's much easier to grow in an open source environment than in a closed source environment. Not sure why that is, but I used to work in closed source and I did the same job for ten years. And then I moved to open source and I've been changing, well, not changing job titles, which is something proprietary software does more often, I think, but changing responsibilities, changing what I'm doing every day, that's just always in flux. I I think part of it is because, I mean, if you look at uh, proprietary organizations, also, I mean, the tech is very difficult to get into in the first place. You know, if you want to, well, if you wanted to go and become an Oracle DBA, there are kind of starter versions of things that you can download and sure you can go down like mysql that's now owned by them but you know you can't go and build a, an oracle rack cluster or something like that you 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 you'd need um you know you need to get licenses and all that kind of good stuff where you know the 
as long as you have an interest, your ability to get started with open source is is really just limited by well, how much time do you have? You know, the the the, the software's all out there, the the training's all out there. You know, all of this huge wealth of material is out there. Just you know, get involved, get your get your hands dirty, and get engaged in it, and, and see what you enjoy doing. Oh, that's great! I I, I love uh, love getting into open source uh, this way. So I'm really looking forward. To, uh, well, <coughs> uh, I have to say, working with proprietary software, it, it was sometimes hard. Uh, the, the, the support and, and that kind of stuff. And now you, in theory, can change something yourself and and say to uh, Apache, I have something I think it's better. How, do, how about it? <laughs> well, that's not theory, that's practice. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, in theory, because I'm not, uh, I don't know Java yet, so. <laughs> uh, I think well, a lot of it's written in Java. <laughs> well, we've talked about this uh, before, and one of the easier ways of getting into a open source project, if you don't know the code or don't know the software history behind the project yet, is just do documentation stuff. Because a lot of open source projects, there's always documentation missing, uh, not oh, up yeah. to date. And we actually have had uh, Venkatesh Shalapa on, I think it was Venkatesh, right? That was on the show a while ago who just talked about how to become a Hadoop contributor. And this is one of the ways of just doing it, even if you don't know the language yet, by doing the documentation stuff, you kind of roll in in an easy, organic fashion into the whole programming environment and stuff. So don't hold yourself back. You can do it. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I'm a long way from being a developer i can i can read other people's code and i can usually hack it about a bit if i absolutely have to but i'm definitely not a developer yeah i've contributed to probably over a hundred kind of open source projects primarily through documentation um that's uh, that's that's the way that i i work with a lot of um, upstream open source projects is uh, is through the documentation side of things because um, that's that's how I can help. That's that's something I can very easily contribute. Yeah. Okay. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. And if you find a bug or something that doesn't work as intended, a good f- finished complete bug report, they love that too. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And it, it's uh, it's you can see lots of people um, on mailing lists saying, "Oh, this doesn't work," or "That doesn't work," or "I can't." You know, don't understand this, and on community sites, forum sites, and whatever. But um, you know, the number of people that go from "oh, I can't get this to work" to "I'll go and write a, a bug report" is surprisingly small. So you're right; being able to write a decent uh, bug report, and usually most projects will have a guide on um, you know what they expect to see from a bug report because it, it does it does vary from project to project. But you're right. Another great, great way to uh, to contribute to projects and to learn some of the internals. Anyway, going back to the subject of the of this uh, podcast, uh, you've been saying a lot, a couple of times already. You're uh, looking for a job as a data engineer, not a data scientist. Can you explain, in your view, what the difference is between the two and why you're picking one over the other? Um. Well, I was thinking, uh, I was looking for, I've been an Oracle database administrator for many years. And so I was thinking, so what uh, in the big data world is a bit comparable to that? And I thought that data engineer, I'm pretty much getting certain that data engineer is getting close to what the database administrator does. A data 
science, um, I found the, the, the data science course from uh, Stanford University very interesting, uh, but I'm not very big on statistics and uh, econometry and that kind of stuff. So uh, maybe that will be a second step because I love teasing out data, uh, t- information out of data. <laughs> but uh, one step at a time, I think uh, data <laughs> engineers is a very good first uh, first step, actually. Yeah. Okay. So you see the data engineer as a, I'm not going to say entry level because that really doesn't do justice to it, but as a, a better way to start. And then yeah. maybe if things work that way, move on to a data scientist uh, environment, if that is fun yeah. or not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I'm very interesting, interesting in that, uh, that's that time. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Now you are looking at the big data world very much from a database point of view because of your history, of course. Yeah. But of course, in uh, Hadoop, you have the streaming analytics, you have the machine learning. Are those things you say great? Uh, there's a big area I can get my feet wet in, or do you think nope? I like this database thing, and I'm going to concentrate on this one thing. How do you see yourself evolving? Um. Ooh, I asked a tough question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm going to 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 be in the s- sort of administration side of things, and and I think I will do a lot with data streams and that kind of stuff, and how to get the data into Hadoop and mm-hmm. uh, in a quick way, that kind of stuff. But okay, so um, so data we'll curation, yeah, yeah, yeah governance, like yeah, data pipelining, yeah. you know, handling that ingest step, yeah, yeah, makes sense, yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. I think if it's a link to the security part with the governance and lineage uh, stuff that's becoming more and more important in uh, big data, that's a good uh, link as well, I think. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And definitely sounds like a full-time <laughs> job and then some. Oh, yes. And it's not a job I want to do, so I'm happy you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good, good, good. Yeah, I think uh, I will have my hands full uh, for the coming uh, coming year. Yeah, oh, Years, sure. plural. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good. So you've been yeah. at the job now for about uh, 10 days because we were recording yeah. this on the 10th. And you told, talked about the fact that you're going to join, uh, that you have joined a existing big data team. How yeah. did that kind of work? How was that? Uh, how fun was that? Well, they're, they're, always, they're all at uh, different customers. So I haven't met them a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I can't say, tell a lot, but I did have uh, 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 two uh meetings with uh, a data engineer that also came from the Oracle world. And he has done date has been a data engineer for a year or two, I think. And um, so we had a discussion comparing the old world to the new world. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I got a good impression of what I was getting into uh, from him. Can you share a bit about that? The, 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 the difference between the new and the old world? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's been a, a couple of months be- uh, ago, so I'm trying to... F- yeah, it doesn't have to be verbatim, but just uh, in your words, what's the difference between the new and the old world? It's interesting to know. Well, the, the interesting thing, uh, how I uh, see Hadoop and uh, Oracle, how I compare them is uh, uh, it's it's like... Uh, 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 Oracle is like all these modules uh, of Hadoop, uh, but then uh, it's all chosen for you and you can't choose anything else. You just have to use the options in there. And Hadoop, you can just say, you know what? I want to work with PIC today and you can uh, install that and work with that. Or uh, I want to have more security. I just 
install another option and with oracle it's uh it's more like uh, all in there and just see what you want uh, with it but as long as you pay the licenses uh, yeah. yeah it's it's um it's a bit hard to to define exactly how i see uh, the the comparison uh, yet but because i'm still getting into it sure, but sure. I, I I'm now going through uh, the Hortonworks University uh, courses, and I, a lot of things a lot of things are actually recognizable from from Oracle uh, with an Oracle background with a database background because, because you see oh okay they're doing they're having a, a trash option oh that's just that's just that and that and that I recognize that and um, okay it, it's not that it's not really hard to learn, but yeah, I think the hardest part will be how to get this data in there fast enough and get these uh, get the data get the um, allow the data scientists to iterate through data fast enough that kind of stuff. It's very yeah, I love I love that I'm in a new field. Uh, by the way, it's uh, uh, it's great to to learn all all new stuff. That's been years ago that I did that had such an uh, occasion. <laughs> yeah, for a lot of people, it's a, a new life for the career. I mean, I started in the big data when I was uh, relatively old already, I guess. But it also gives you uh, a second youth, let's say, gives you freedom yeah. again. Because basically, when you when you're talking about the difference between the old and new world, what I hear a lo- here there is a more freedom, more ways to do stuff, freedom to do and try and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also why I, that's one of the reasons I asked about how this uh, integration with the existing team works. Because in my experience, because it's also new, you don't know today what tomorrow will be new. And the only way to get that information is by having a lot of com- communication, conversation, Skype, or whatever you're using as communication tool with people working in the same area. And of course, being in a team of people that do more or less the same thing, that's ideal, of course. Yeah, I, t- I tend to find that like distributed distributed organisations like that, whether it's you know, well, it doesn't matter what what the field is in particular, but establishing a, a common method of communication that the whole team is on, even if they are you know on customer sites all over the place, really really important for generating sort of a uh, you know a feel of camaraderie. Someone you know that the new folks can bounce ideas off of and questions off of, really really key. Yeah, what what's different, of course, with uh, or between Oracle and uh, uh, big data is that uh, things can change much faster. I think. Uh, I, I mean, we've been working for something like ten years with Oracle Eleven G, so that's the or the the previous version of Oracle, and you can just keep that running. But I think in the, I'm not sure. Maybe you can respond to that i think that uh in in the hadoop in the big data world that there things are changing a lot faster than the the people people are suddenly saying absolutely let's try that product let's try that module and then yeah yeah i mean we we talk about brand new tech every every fortnight on this podcast (laughs) (laughs) i mean it, it 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 literally is evolving that quickly it's it it's the pace of innovation, um, the pace of new projects arriving, new tech is just phenomenal. So I, I don't believe there is a faster moving, broad ecosystem like this anywhere else. I think the Hadoop and big data side of things is just, uh, yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. And the, the amount of change, the amount of exciting things you'll see popping up left, right and center you know, if you're the kind of person that enjoys that sort of uh, space, 
I think you'll find it pretty rewarding. Yeah, I've been wondering about people who talk about how to get bogged down in their job doing the same thing all day, every day. I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> it's also yeah. embarrassing sometimes because sometimes you talk to a customer or a colleague and tell them, this is how it is today. And a week later, things have changed completely. <laughs> so they start, are you lying to me sometime? <laughs> nah, it's just moving this fast. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I've been talking for quite a while now. So maybe a final question. Um, now you've started on this brand new part of big data exploration. Where do you see yourself in one to five years? Oh, it's, uh, sounds like an interview question. Yes, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> when I was saying it, I was thinking exactly the same thing. <laughs> Well, since the big data world is changing so fast, <laughs> it's, it's not exactly uh, easy to say. But I, I think uh, I'm, I'm always interested in two topics, and it is performance, and it is in security. Be, uh, performance because it's just wonderful uh, finding uh, out ways to make uh, well, basically customers and people in the uh, people within companies happy, making mm -hmm. things very fast. Uh, so I think I'm going to find that track somehow and uh the other thing is um i'm gonna be uh very interested in security mm -hmm. i told it uh, already already a couple of times uh how to secure your data uh within hadoop and um yeah so and if, if, yeah, i'm already already reading into uh how that works in hadoop and uh, by the way maybe an interesting article i sent a link i've already been looking in how to hack Hadoop, not hacking as in a hackathon, but more like how to attack Hadoop. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are some people with a security with a hacking mindset uh, have been looking at it. And uh, it's very interesting, very interesting read. Uh, uh, they, 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 yeah. So, so that's going to be an, a topic I'm definitely going to be uh, uh, working on in five years still. Yeah. Okay, well, this and this who knows data science? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, for me, the whole big data thing is machine learning, but that's a total. I, I don't want security there. No, I do, I do, I do, I definitely do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm operations, security, architecture. So yeah, I I get it, I get it definitely. All right, great. Well, we will definitely be hooking up with you at the Hadoop Summit or the DataWorks Summit, as it's called now. In uh, how many weeks now? Three more weeks or something like that, I guess. Three, four weeks. Yeah. So yeah, we'll definitely yeah. be talking to uh, to you again then, and maybe in uh, in six months or a years time, let's have another chat and see how you're doing. Cool. All right. Thank you very much for being part of our podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you very much for the ticket. <laughs> hey, thank Hortonworks. They're the sponsors. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Pleasure talking to you and uh, look forward to hearing from you soon. All okay. right. All right. And with that, that's all the time we have for the podcast for today. We hope you, dear listener, have enjoyed this serving of bite-sized big data again. We will be back, of course, in two weeks' time with a brand new episode about what we have no idea yet, but probably something Hadoop Summit related. DataWorks Summit. I have, to, I have to work on that. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, send us your feedback and questions via the feedback form and you can send email, of course, to podcast at roaringelephant.org with any thoughts, comments, criticisms and other feedback. Until next time, my name is John. My name is Dave. And uh, I also want to thank the impromptu appearance of the workmen at Dave's house and we look forward to talking to you in two weeks' time. 
Goodbye. See you then.